where we'll start. Exodus 22 might be a good passage for you to jot down. John chapter 10 might be a good one for you to jot down. This is a this is a tough a tough psalm for me. There's I, I'm not probably gonna have much good I can say on this tonight, or at least at least not. I don't have a real great level of understanding. At least at least maybe not so much the application of John 10. So I realized as I started looking at this today, I probably should have started looking at this earlier. But um, anyway, we'll talk about what it says and. Um, Try to make heads or tails out of it. It's 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 not easy to know exactly what is being said or referenced here, and that you will find if you study this topic yourself that there is some disagreement among scholars and theologians and and preachers and teachers as to exactly what some of the meaning is for this passage. At least some of the language. I think I think we can kind of understand the meaning of what's being said, regardless if we if we fully understand the exact details of, of who's being spoken of here, we can still grasp what the point, I think, is of the passage, but uh, it's a lot to consider. So let's pray, and we'll get started. Father God, we come to you, and we thank you for this beautiful day, and that we can sing these songs. And I pray, God, that you just would help me to do a good job tonight to try to preach and teach this this passage, dear Lord, that I don't even fully understand, but God, I pray that you would you would help us to understand it as best we can, dear Lord, that through it all, whether we understand all the details, let us not miss, God, that you are the one who is in control, and you are the one who provides for your people. So, dear Lord, if we get nothing else from that, let us be reminded of that tonight. But I pray that as we look at some of these things and discuss them, that you would help Help me to, to, to do a good job and let it be for your glory and let us all hear your word tonight. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Amen. This is a relatively short psalm and the superscription is a simple one, a psalm of Asaph. And so uh, we are almost to the end of the, of the series of psalms of Asaph. Uh, we will uh, finish up, Lord willing, next week with Psalm 83. Uh, but tonight we will look at Psalm 82, verse 1. God has taken his place in the divine assembly. He judges among the gods. Now, here is the first thing that we see here that may throw up a red flag. What is this divine assembly that is being spoken of here? And who are these other gods? Does this passage tell us that there are indeed other gods, but that the God that we serve is God over all gods. Now, in in the literal Hebrew word there is Elohim, which is a word that you frequently see translated as God. Many times that we see Elohim in the Old Testament, it is speaking of God, the God of Israel. We also see other words used, Yahweh, and there are other words that are often translated as God. There are many words in the Hebrew language that and our Bibles are translated as God, different different ways that they're spelled out with some different meanings, sometimes describing a different attribute of God's power or strength or, or some part of God. Uh, and, but Elohim speaks often of God, but the difficulty with this passage is that Elohim is also sometimes used to speak of people other than God. Uh, one example of this 
uh, would be uh, in Exodus chapter 7. When God has told Moses and Aaron to go before Pharaoh, he tells Moses, you will be like a God or you will be a God before Pharaoh. That is, you will be an Elohim. And God says this to Abraham of Abraham that God will be, or excuse me, that Moses will be a God before Abraham. Uh, Exodus chapter 22, we see the same language. But in Exodus 22, we see that it's speaking of judges early on in the passage. And then as the passage goes on, we see another mention of Elohim, which in some translation speaks of judges. In other translations, if I'm not mistaken, it speaks of, of God. And so we see this word Elohim, and sometimes it speaks of God. Sometimes it speaks of human judges and rulers of the world. Uh, so it's very difficult to know what who Elohim is or, or what the application is. So in this particular verse, it says God has taken his place in the divine assembly. He judges among the gods. Now, some of your translations may have taken the liberty uh, of saying uh, he judges in the midst of rulers or something along those lines. Uh, I don't think that that's a good thing to do. Every translation does does things like this on one occasion or another. Uh, this, this, but, but sometimes the translators say, well, we think that this is what this means. We think that it means he's speaking of human rulers. And so, therefore, we're going to put that in there to avoid confusion. Because as you can imagine, or maybe even now as you sit here, you say, well, there's difficulty in saying that God is judging among the gods. Well, are there more than one God? Now, in the literal context, Elohim, it should be translated plural there. The I am means that it's plural. Uh, that is, he judges the gods. So we are left to try to figure out who the gods are. Now there are there are a few main suggestions. One of the biggest suggestions is that this refers to angels or demons of some sort, that these are the ones who are being judged, that it's that it's something divine, that it's some spiritual being here that is being judged. And so some would say the gods that are referenced here would be angels or would be demons. Uh, another popular uh, interpretation is that this is simply speaking of humans, of human rulers, of people that God has put into to authority, of judges, of kings, or whoever the rulers may be. Now, I believe that that probably is what it means. However, I could be wrong because it's difficult really to know because you see the word Elohim used in a variety of different ways in the Old Testament. But as we read through the psalm, to me, the language that's used seems to fit that. Uh, but some would disagree and say that the further language that's used would, again, point to the fact that it's not any type of, of human that God is, is, is over here. But let's continue on. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Provide justice for the needy and the fatherless. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and needy. Save them from the power of the wicked. Now, it appears as though God is speaking in this passage. And so what's the problem that's going on here? Somebody is judging somebody else unjustly. And the same, the same groups that we see mentioned throughout the Bible. What's the, what's the problem? People are being treated unjustly. So what's the, what's the call here? Is to provide justice for who? 
the needy, the fatherless, the oppressed. These are the same types of groups that we see. The needy, the oppressed, the fatherless, the widows, the orphans, that kind of language we see often in the Scripture. God cares about these people. These people are often overlooked. It's often the widows and the orphans, the fatherless, the needy, the poor, the oppressed. Those are the ones that are often taken advantage of and overlooked. But what does God command of his people? From the Old Testament to the New Testament, to look after those that, that really can't look after themselves, that are in a bad shape. Don't, don't use any authority or power you have over them, but use that to help them. And so the problem here among whoever God is talking to is that they're not taking care of the poor and needy. And that seems, seems to me to, 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 to make me think that he's speaking of, of some human who has the ability to judge and do right, but yet they are not doing right. So that is, there are those who are rulers, human rulers and judges that have power, but God is over them. He is judging this assembly. He is judging these gods or these rulers or these kings. Whoever these beings are, they have some power that they are using for the bad of humanity. And so God says, look, uh, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality uh, uh, to the wicked? Uh, verse 5, they do not know or understand. They wander in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. It's hard to know who the they is. Uh, it could be speaking of, of, of these gods or judges or rulers, whoever it may be. They could be the ones who do not know or understand. Or it's possible those who are being oppressed and mistreated are the ones who do not know and understand. And so whoever the they are, uh, they wander in darkness, whether it's the people who are being mistreated, whether it's these that God is bringing judgment on, uh, it doesn't matter. But these actions, regardless of who they are, the actions of all that is taking place, either to the oppressed or the oppressor, have caused the foundations of the earth to be shaken. Or perhaps we could think of it as things were out of balance. Things were not as they should be because those who had power uh, to help people seem to be not helping those people, seem to be bringing uh, hurt to those people and hard times to those people. Then verse 6, I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. However, you will die like men and fall like any other ruler. Okay, so this passage is of some significance to us here, verse 6, because Jesus references this in John chapter 10. If you want to turn there, you can because we'll look at it. But what does he say here? He says, you are gods. Now, he's talking to this group, whoever they are, and he refers to them as sons of the Most High. Okay, well, sometimes we see sons of God in the Old Testament, which may be angels, or it may be those who follow the Lord. There's some debate over what sons of God means in certain applications, and so that doesn't really help us in trying to, to figure this out. If you interpret sons of God as angels in one in one spot, Job being a good example, then perhaps you would look at these spoken of here as angels as well. Uh, however, we could apply that, son, uh, that term to God's people as well. And so that's what makes this passage difficult. It's, it's hard to, at least for me, it may not be difficult for you, but it's hard for me to figure out exactly uh, who this group is he's speaking to. Now, God refers to them as gods, whoever they are. But again, that simply could just be figurative language because after all, he did use the same language 
when he spoke to Moses in Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. However, you will die like men. Now, some would say, well, this, this implies that they are not men. Whoever these are that he's speaking to are not men, but they will die like men. Well, perhaps they are men and they have thought too highly of themselves, as often human rulers do. Even today, there are human rulers who make the claim that they are gods or tell their people that they are gods, the rulers of North Korea being a prime example of that. And so this idea that those who are in charge view themselves as God or tell others that they are God or believe that they are God uh, still exists today. And that may be the same idea that God has here when he speaks of these people as being gods and refers to them in that way. He could be simply referring to the fact, I have given you power. I am God over all. I have all authority, but I'm, I, I gave my authority to you. I'm the one who appoints kings and, and leaders in this world. And you have not been a good leader. You have been appointed and sent by me with my authority, perhaps similar to the way God sent Moses. Now, Moses certainly was not God, and he was not a, a God, but he was God in the sense that God had given him authority to be like God and to, for Moses or excuse me for Aaron to be like a prophet before Moses who was like God. And so in that sense he had the role of God so to speak because God had given him a specific authority but not because Moses was some type of divine being. And so there is there are examples in scripture as to where Elohim is used in that way in reference to a human being. And in my opinion, which may or may not be right, that seems to be maybe the most likely use of it here. However, you will find many preachers and teachers who will say that this is speaking of some type of angels or demon, and that could be correct as well. Uh, and it says, however, you will die like men and fall like any other ruler. Okay, so that second part of the verse, like any other ruler, leads me to believe what you are a ruler, like other rulers, but you are being judged because you haven't been a good ruler. And so that type of language kind of makes me think, okay, this is, a, this is a human ruler that's being spoken of. Okay, so that's kind of the difficulty in the context here of Psalm 82 of what that looks like. And since we're on the topic, this is a prime time to take a few minutes to look at John chapter 10. Because this is a passage that Jesus references. And I am not 100% certain, I am, I am not sure exactly the application that Jesus is making here. And so, if some of you know this application or study it, I'd love to, to talk about it more because I, I just am not, am not certain. Anyway, uh, Jesus had been speaking uh, earlier in John chapter 10 in verse 30, uh, and in verse 30, he says, the Father and I are one. And so we see that in Jesus' teaching that many that he's teaching and preaching to, they don't like this kind of language, that he is the Son of God, or that he and the Father are one. And so after he makes this statement, we go to verse 31. Again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. Okay, so they were hot. Many times people did not like what Jesus had to say. A lot of times the Jewish people especially did not like what Jesus had to say. Now, some didn't like what Jesus had to say because they didn't agree with it. Some didn't like what Jesus had to say because it was really hard to live by and accept his teachings. But in this case, 
He made the statement, the Father and I are one, and to them that was blasphemy. And so whatever they had nearby was close. There wasn't no time to do nothing else. Pick up a rock. We got to take care of this guy right now. We got to get rid of him. They were constantly trying to get Jesus throughout his ministry. Verse 32, Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. Which of these works are you stoning me for? Okay, so they all got stones. They're ready to bring, drop the hammer down on Jesus. And he says, well, tell me what you're stoning me for. Because all I've done among you is good works. I mean, Jesus had healed the sick. He had made the lame to walk, the blind to see. I mean, Jesus did all kind of miraculous things in his ministry. And he says, so, so what are you stoning me for when all I have done is good works for you? And they responded, we aren't stoning you for a good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy. Because you are being, because you being a man, make yourself God. Okay, so here's the here's the scene. Jesus said, "The Father and I are one." They took offense to this. They're ready to stone Jesus, and Jesus needs to respond. Things things are getting difficult. Now Jesus could have miraculously just floated away had he have wanted to, but he needs a way to get out of this situation, and so. Jesus responds with the word of God, which is not, which we see from time to time in Scripture. Jesus using God's word to respond to whatever's going on around him, referencing Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament passages. And here Jesus, in verse 34, quotes from Psalm 82, verse 6. And Jesus answered them, Isn't it written in your Scripture? I said, You are God's. If he called those whom the word of God came to God's, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say you are blaspheming to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world because I said, I am the Son of God? Okay, so obviously those who were going to stone Jesus had never taken any offense to the fact that God had said in Psalm 82 verse 6, you are God's. Now, don't mistake what's, what's being said here. Sometimes it, it's easy, perhaps, to do that with this passage. Jesus is not saying, you are gods. Some make that mistake. Some take this passage and say, Jesus said we are gods. Jesus did not say we are gods. Jesus is quoting what Psalm 82.6 says. Psalm 82.6 said, I said, that is God, I said, you are gods. But we have to remember the context of Psalm 82.6 to, 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 to make sure that we don't misinterpret what Jesus is saying here. What is the context of Psalm 82.6? That God is speaking to these gods or these judges or these rulers saying, look, you are under judgment because of these things that you have done. I said you are gods. That is, you have been placed in a position of power and authority. However, you are about to be judged. So that's the context when God said, I said you are God's, but you failed at your position of power and authority. And as a result, you're going to be judged. And so in Psalm 82, God had said, I said you are God's, which apparently the audience before Jesus had not taken offense to that. If, if, if so, they would, have, they would have already been complaining about, well, wait a minute, people can't be God's, but yet they didn't take any offense to that passage. Uh, which is why Jesus brought it up here. 
What I don't think Jesus is saying is that we are gods. I don't think that Jesus is saying that. I don't think God was saying that. I think he was saying that in application of some who are in positions of power. And so in verse 35, Jesus says, if he, that is God, uh, called those whom the word of God came to gods, all right, so this is another part of the passage that leads me to think that this is speaking of of humans in Psalm 82 and not some, some spiritual being, not an angel or a demon. Because he says, if he called those whom the word of God came to, who did the word of God came to? The word of God came to us. It came to humanity. And so if God uh, called those whom the word of God came to gods, that is some humans, I believe probably judges or kings of some sort, and the scripture cannot be broken, Okay, so Jesus says, well, there's, there's, a, there's a reference here where, where God has used the word God to somebody else, and here you are, you're stoning me because I say that uh, the Father and I are one, and I am the Son of God. So what's your basis for doing that on? If you don't have a problem with the Scripture when God said this, why would you have a, a problem with me when I'm using similar language here? And so he says, do you say you are blaspheming to the one the Father set apart? And sent into the world because I said, I am the Son of God. And so, I don't know exactly why Jesus used this passage. Jesus doesn't elaborate on anything here. And I don't think that there's any kind of hidden message in here. I don't know that, I don't know that Jesus is trying to break down and explain to us anything about Psalm 82. I don't think that that's the intent of this passage. I simply think Jesus used this to his benefit here because he needed a way out of this conversation, uh, out of this situation, and what better thing to do than to use the word of God. Obviously, Jesus knew the scripture better than anybody. So he referenced a scripture in which a normal human being, or in my opinion, a normal human being, or human beings were referred to as gods. And he says, wait a minute. There's, there's, there's other, other passages where this type of language is used, so don't, don't stone me for something that God himself has already said. And so I think that that's all Jesus was doing here. Jesus is certainly not expounding upon. He's not teaching us anything about Psalm 82.6. He is simply quoting Psalm 82.6 when he, when, he, when he says what God said. God said, I said you are God. That's, that's the quotation. So Jesus did not say you are God. He's simply quoting Psalm 82.6. So uh, I wish I could give you a better answer, a better explanation to exactly what Jesus meant there. I don't know that there, maybe there is no better explanation. I'm not sure what Jesus meant. And maybe Jesus didn't mean anything other than he simply referenced this passage that we are looking at in Psalm 82. And then it appears as though that the, that the words of God stop here in verse 7. And then in verse 8, the, the, the call here is, Rise up, God, judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. And so, apart from Elohim and judges and angels and, and all of these other things we have discussed, the one thing that we can see for sure from this passage that is abundant apart from this passage that we know is true is that God does not like the wicked. He does not like wicked people who take advantage of people who are in trouble. 
God does not like wicked people who take advantage of the poor and the, and, the, and the needy and the widows and the orphan and the oppressed. God does not like that type of, 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 of activity to take place. And so that's what the passage at its core is about, regardless of who he's talking to. If he's talking to a group of angels here that are the Elohim that are mentioned, that are the gods that are mentioned, then so be it. If he's talking to a group of human rulers that are in some way using their power to bring harm to people, so be it. It really doesn't matter, I don't think, which of those would be true because none of those change the one fact. And that is God has taken his place in the divine assembly and God is the one who judges. God judges all. And so whoever is being talked about here, we can know for sure throughout Scripture that God is on the throne. I don't believe for a second that there are any other gods. There are certainly a lot of false gods. We see them uh, referenced throughout the Old Testament. Uh, but I don't believe that there are any other gods other than Yahweh, the God of Israel, who is often uh, God is, uh, is, is taken from Elohim as well. And that is the God who is in control. God cares about people who are in need, and he does not want any who are in power, whether it's you or me, or the president of the United States, or the leader of North Korea, whatever power we have, we do not want to use it to the harm of others, but to the betterment of others. And that we can take to the bank, because that is the word of God. We see it through and through, and that we can understand. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you tonight. We thank you for these good words. And God, I pray that that you help us to be able to understand passages like these as best we can. It's, it's kind of difficult language for us to, to wrap our head around, but let us not forget, God, that you are in control, that you are all-powerful, and, God, you will make all things right when the time comes. But help us, God, not to be those wicked who take advantage of folks, but let us be those, God, who seek to be like you, that seek to serve and help and take care of those who have a need, whoever they may be. Dear Lord, I pray that as we think about passages like John chapter 10, dear Lord, that we don't, we don't miss the beauty of that passage and trying to figure out how the application for Psalm 82, 6 fits in there, God, let us, let us not miss the point that Jesus is your son. God, that is a, that is a beautiful truth that you sent your son to give his life on a cross that we could be forgiven. So dear Lord, let us not be so foolish as those Jewish folks who hear the words of Jesus but don't believe him. But God, let us be the, those who hear the word. Let us believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that we put our faith in him and we trust in him and strive to live like him. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.